Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Self-Published Wrong Podcast. I'm your host, Andrea Pearson, and I'm joined today by my husband. Hi, I'm Nolan. And if you're listening to this podcast for the first time, in this show, we talk about marketing and publishing and give tips on those. And we give motivational quotes and tons of advice and ideas on the craft of writing itself based off of great and awful movies. What's today's movie? Stranger Than Fiction. It's a great or awful movie. It's great. Yeah. I was thinking we don't do enough awful movies. <laughs> hey, I've got plenty. I know. So do I. Um, just a reminder about Patreon. Um, go to patreon.com forward slash self-published strong. And to support us and get one of my $25 courses for free up front. And then um, movie suggestions and things like that. And also my course d- discount coupon, whatever you call it, is still going until Saturday. And that is not Black Friday and um that is the code that is the code not black friday one one word uppercase and go to selfpublishedoncourses.com for that and i discovered today that one of my courses was still in the introductory discount price and a lot of people took advantage of that and i was like well i'm glad but dang it (laughs) so i raised the price on that one and it's still very nicely discounted uh, with the 50 percent off coupon but yeah, so we're having fun with kids tonight. You know, kids that refuse to eat dinner. I'm sure. I'm sure those of you who have parents or parents or grandparents rec- or remember those days when the three year old is starving to death but will not eat what we serve him, even when he likes it. Even when he likes it, and so he hasn't had dinner yet, and they're downstairs watching a movie and. I don't know that they'll interrupt us. He's kind of mad at us right now because we're like, no, we're not going to make you other food, which we sometimes do. But it's insanity to cook several meals, one for every person in the family. And we're trying to figure out how to um, not do that. I do have friends that do that every single night. They're like, I cook three to four meals every single night, one for I'm like, that's that's not feasible. I'm sorry. I don't, I don't know how you're doing that, but I don't think that that's what should be expected. So those of you who have kids, if you've been there, done that, how did you get your kids out of that phase? The, I won't eat what you cook. I only want to eat what I want. And I know my sister-in-law would be like, let them go to bed hungry. Yeah, but then you have to be up all night listening to them crying. <laughs> and I haven't, we have never done that before. Like, it's too hard for me to be mean to make them go to bed hungry. I don't know. Anyway, yeah, exciting times. Nolan, do you have any updates? Nope. Well, you do have an update on the dragon. We announced last week that you're almost done with it. Oh, yeah. And well, it is done now. It is uh, posted. And it is you. absolutely fantastic. If you have not seen it, it is really good. I think it's only on... It's on It's on my Facebook account. So if they're friends oh. with me on Facebook... Then you may have already seen it. Yeah. It's really good. I told him... I'm like, I'm going to be writing a book series on dragons. I need you to get practicing. So his first real try at dragons besides sketches, you know, pencil sketches, was pretty phenomenal. And as I told everybody, this is why I'm married to him. I mean, it's the biggest reason I'm married to him. (laughs) I'm kidding. It's not the biggest reason. She's not kidding. (laughs) Whatever. I am kidding. She's kidding. Yes. (laughs) All right. Um, yeah. So, okay. So I finished my project with the Coven Chronicles. I was going through and adding up to 25% on some of those books and not as much in the first book. I only, only wanted to thread in a few plots into the first books that I could reap those later on. Um, I added a couple scenes and things like that. So those 
I am now reading through those books on my phone, acting like they're Kindles, and I'm making sure everything, they're Kindle books, whatever, making sure that everything is flows and that I'm not, you know, jumping all over the place, which I'm glad I'm doing that because I've already found a couple things where I was like, uh, so she goes to dinner at the governor's house and then she does like a ton of things after with elderly people who are not nighttime people. And I was like, okay, so there's a timing error there. <laughs> so I had to fix that. So I'm glad that, glad that I'm doing that. Let's go ahead and go on to the quote. Okay. Nothing in this world can take the place of persistence. Talent will not. Nothing is more un more common than unsuccessful people with talent. Genius will not. Unrewarded genius genius is almost a proverb. Education will not. The word world is full. I cannot do else today. The world is full of educated derelicts. <laughs> Persistence and determination alone are omnipotent. By Calvin Coolidge, thirtieth president of the United States and my favorite president. And you said last week that he was, this is probably more words than he ever said in one, one sitting. Someone challenged him to have a conversation with less than six words. And he succeeded. He said, you lose. <laughs> That's nice. <laughs> anyway, so why'd you pick that quote? What are your thoughts on it? Because it had, it was Calvin Coolidge. Uh, <laughs> and? A man of few words who said a lot. Yeah. In that one, in that one little that saying right there. Persistence, yeah, because like I've seen a lot of like less talented people, <laughs> yeah, have their work out there and mm -hmm. they just put more work out there. So there you go. Yeah, we were actually we've mentioned this before in the podcast, but when you and your brother were talking about artists in the '90s who were like half as good as you, but they're getting their stuff seen and viewed and stuff like that, and um, how you're like, well, I chose a career that could provide for a family, and now you're catching up with art, but you are like way more talented to them than them, you know? So it just takes time and persistence to, let me, let me see the quote. It takes time and persistence to, to, uh, get anywhere. Um, okay. So like, I wouldn't say I'm a talented writer. Uh, I know that my readers say that I am now, but I definitely was not in the beginning. Uh, well, I that's had, not talent. That's uh it was not skill had, that you acquired over time. Yeah. So, um, I'm, I'm talented when it comes to art and music. Like I, I can pick up pretty much any instrument and learn it except wind, but any string instrument and I can learn it really quickly and read the music really quickly, but I am not, I wouldn't say I'm talented at writing. It didn't occur to me to be a writer till I was an adult, but I have worked really, really hard on it. And, my, our books get read. So, I mean, my readers would probably be offended if they found out I said I wasn't talented, you know, because they love my books. And so, uh, it's something that I've worked a, a lot at and, and there's still a lot more room to grow, you know, just like everything. I am going to be taking courses, hopefully after the baby is born on writing, just because I feel like there are still some blanks that I can fill in, you know, Anyway, um, let's see. So the, I'm going to be talking about choosing a price point for the next few uh, podcast episodes until I have more time to go through my notes from the conference. I still haven't had time to do that. And uh, okay, so choosing a price point, we'll talk about eBooks this time. So the sweet spot for your eBook will most likely be, be, be between free and $4.99, though I do see books that Authors sell at $5.99 and even higher that do well. Uh, if your audience is large and the competition is high, though, like if you write romance, then you'll probably do better by pricing the book lower. Uh, romance is notoriously low. 
It is. There's so many books and there's so many comp- so much competition and romance books. They're formulaic. They all follow a formula and you can get a happily ever after and a, ha- a warm, fuzzy feeling from a whole lot of them. And it's not the same with science fiction and fantasy. You know, it's a lot harder. We've said this before. It's a lot harder to get a sci- sci-fi or fantasy book right than it is to get a romance right. And, um, so yeah, so if the competition is low, you maybe find pricing a bit higher. Um, but remember that there's, there's no hard rules. Um, You'll want to tweak to find your own sweet spot. So, you know, what we're doing right now, we, I usually keep my full length novels at $3.99. We've decided to drop everything to $2.99 for a whole month without telling my readers and just see if more downloads happen and I make more money. Sometimes more downloads doesn't equal more money though. So even if I get more downloads, if I'm not making more money during that month than I was the previous month, then it's pointless. Yes, I did just say that not making money is pointless. (laughs) I mean, that's the whole, that's my whole purpose for being an author. I'm not, I don't write because it's a passion. I write because it's a passion and I want to make money. And I'm not ashamed to admit that. I think it's funny when authors are like, I only want to be an artist, man. I don't want to make money. I'm like, I want to be widely read, which means you want to sell a lot of books. Yeah. You want to be widely read. All of your books would be free all the time. Yep. Oh, your books aren't free all the time. You want to be compensated for what you did. <laughs> oh, then you want it actually to make money. You yep. wanted a lot of people to buy your books is what you wanted. Exactly. Don't lie to yourself and yep. me. Nobody believes you anyway. Um, so most authors, myself included, found success in listing the first book um, in a series at a lower price. So I like to keep my first books either perma-free or 99 cents. Right now, Forsaken Prince is at neither. I should probably drop the price again because it was in the box set. So I had it at a higher price. But... Uh, Shade Amulet, I dropped to 99 cents and we've been selling a decent amount of those at 99 cents, more than at 2.99, of course. And it had never been below 2.99. So that might be part of it. But, um, yeah, so having a lower price does encourage, encourage downloads and reviews and you want both of those. So, um, there's a lot of people that are like, I I don't want to degrade my books by giving them away for free. Yeah. But giving them away for free gets you a lot more money, especially when you have like nine other books in the series. The first one. Yeah. And if nobody knows who you are, I mean, JK Rowling, everybody knows who she is. She gave her books away for free. That's, you know, she's giving a whole lot away. But for those of us who don't down, don't have 10 million downloads a, a year or a month, I mean, um, giving it a book away for free is not I mean, bad. Honestly, no one was downloading your books when no one knows who you are. So you're not losing money. You think every time someone downloads a book, you could have sold it for the same, the same number for it. You're like, oh no, a, a thousand people downloaded my book. I should have sold it for 99 cents. Uh, then yeah, it you probably been. would have had 15 at most. So yeah, that would have made you 50 cents or something. I don't know. It's not... 15 times 35. Okay. A dollar 50 something. Dollar 80. doesn't matter. Yeah. It doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. So, um, yeah, so play around with your prices and see what works best for you. And, yeah. Should we talk about the movie now? Yes. I'm tired and cranky. Nolan's tired and cranky because kids and we're tired and cranky. Um, All right, so let's talk about Stranger Than Fiction. Who is your favorite character and why? Uh, The professor. (laughs) That was my answer, too. (laughs) Because he's a complete sociopath and it's... No, he's wonderful! He views Harold Crick as a academic. A, yeah, project. academically, he doesn't view him as a person. So when he's dealing, you know, they're talking about Harold's potent, potential impending death. He's very sterile about it, and it's humorous. It's great, you know. Yeah. And then even at the end, when he's like, 
They rewrite the book to save him. He's like, well, it saves it's him good. in real life. It's not great, but it's good. <laughs> it's not the greatest piece of literature in the past 30 years, but it's okay. <laughs> it's so it's amazing. so disappointing. He's like, he has to die for this book to be great. He has to die. And that's what he tells Harold. He's like, yeah. I'm sorry, you have to die. <laughs> and then Harold reads the book and he's like, I have to die. Okay, so basically this book is about a character, a, a person, man, Harold Crick, who finds out he is the main character in a novel, and the author is narrating his life, and he catches, he starts hearing her narration, and he's like, what the heck is going on? And she, um... She's a real person that he meets later. Yeah, he actually meets her to try to tell her, don't kill me. And then that's when he reads the book, and he's like, you have to kill me. And she's like, I can't kill somebody I, I've met, you know? Because everything so far that's happened that she, it, everything in her book has happened to him in real life. Yeah. So I really like uh, Professor Hil Hilbert. He's very frank, you know, and very blunt about Harold's position. And mm -hmm. yeah, because like he finds out he's in a story and then he has to try and find out what kind of story he's in. Yeah, exactly. And uh, do you remember what the questions were he had? He was asking Harold. Ridiculous stuff. Like, like way uh, ridiculous. Like if the phone rings, do you answer it? Like, uh, yes. Have you ever grown a second leg? Can you, have you ever seen somebody flying? I mean, just like. You think you have superpowers? <laughs> yeah, just way random. And, no. and Crick's like, what does this have to do with anything? He's like, well, I've just, uh, you know, established that you are not in Treasure Island and you are not in. <laughs> yeah, like all the books he's not in. Yeah. yeah. Which that, that's like, that would take so long, you know? Yeah. No. But what he does instead is he has. Harold start trying to decide if he's in a tragedy or a comedy. And how does that go? He is in a tragedy. <laughs> yes. And he is in a tragedy. So yeah, it is. The, he the is. experiment works. Yep. And I want to talk a little bit about the romance because the tragedy versus comedy, you know, it there is romance in this. In this there is you know? romance and it's a comedy. Yeah. It is. Yeah. And, but every, you know, when he's talking to Anna, she is, well, okay, explain who Anna is really fast. So he is an uh, accountant for the IRS, and he's auditing her, and she has a bakery. Uh-huh. She doesn't want to pay her taxes. Yeah. Yeah, so he's um, auditing her, and he's and she makes it difficult. She has everything organized, but when he gets there, she messes everything up and hands him this big box of receipts. And so there, he tries to befriend her because he's attracted to her because the narrator tells him he's attracted to her. But then he's like, oh, I am attracted to her. And um, he... Um, He's like keeping track of whether or not he's in a comedy or a tragedy and she doesn't respond well to him at first. And so he's definitely in a tragedy, you know, because she's shuns him quite a bit. And it is these two characters, they're complete opposites. I mean, absolute opposites. Like he's he's an IRS agent and she's, you know, this little uh, what what hipster um, bakery person? Yeah, this she's very politically minded, and it's not not going along with his political beliefs. And so there's a lot of sparks that fly when the two of them are together. And it's not like they're screaming at you. Well, she kind of screams at him a few times. Tax man, <laughs> get bent. <laughs> and okay, so um, antagonistic and protagonist relationships in this. Well, I mean, they're antagonistic, and then they're not antagonistic, and then that's it, really. I mean, they, they do get... Well, fighting. even beyond the romance, I mean, because Carol Crick is the protagonist, but do we have a main antagonist? Uh, the story, I guess? I don't know. It's Yeah, I mean, the book that's being written about him, I mean, what's-her-face, the author, is kind of the antagonist until he... But she's disconnected, so it's not like she's trying to thwart him or control no, she, his she's life. No, because he's, he's a real, no he's a real person, yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, so it's it this is such an interesting show. It's so it's so uh well weaved and well plotted. It's just it's really fun. If you haven't seen it again, you know, all writers need to watch Stranger Than Fiction. <laughs> okay, so it is a movie about writers, just it is. like From Mama from the Train. Yeah. And just like uh what was the other one we did? Finding Forrester. Finding Forrester. So tell me about the foreshadowing in this show. Little did Little he know. Little did he know. <laughs> Which is what uh Professor Hilbert did his whole thesis on. <laughs> I once taught, a, uh, almost taught a whole lecture on, or series of lectures or whatever, yeah. On, on Little Did He Know. And it's so cheesy and so... That's what uh, sparks his interest, because Harold goes to a psychologist and they're like, oh, you're hearing voices? You need to, you're uh, you need to be schizophrenic. Medicated. Yeah, you're schizophrenic, you need to be medicated. And he's like, I'm not crazy. And so then he goes to a liter- lit professor. Uh-huh. Because <laughs> he, feel, he feels like he's in a story, so he yeah. has to try and find out what kind of stories and... And, and the professor's like, I can't help you. He's like, you're crazy. You need to see a psychiatrist. And then and then he's like... Well, it was when I heard her say, little did he know he was going to die. And, but and Professor Hilbert was like, didn't even whoa, care whoa, about whoa, the yeah. rest. <laughs> and whoa, 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 whoa. Little did you just he say, know. little did he know? So then he takes the case. Yeah. And that's what sparks his academic interest. Yep. And it is purely academic to him. There's absolutely he, nothing emotional about this. He doesn't really care. He's not really sorry that Harold is going to die. No. Which, <laughs> it just, he's so, he feels like he's so callous, but he's not, you know? He's not unlikable. Like, he's, it's funny the way he is, you know? Yeah. Somebody in real life, that would be calloused and a jerk, you know? But in this show, he's just, he's awesome. He's fantastic. Nolan's like grinning. <laughs> That's how I feel about almost everything. So Nolan likes I Professor Hilbert. I identify with Professor Hilbert. <laughs> yes. So. Uh, inciting incident is probably when Harold Crick hears he's going to die. Right? Yeah. Yeah, that's when everything starts. Well, to... I mean, he does hear something oh, before that. It could be when the scene. narrator starts talking yeah. to him. Actually. Yeah, because that's when he goes to investigate. I mean, that's when he takes action. Yeah, when he starts, he's like he's literally apart. just brushing his teeth. Like, just like he brushed happens. each teeth tooth uh, twenty five times or whatever. Yeah, and he's like, "Who said what? What?" He's like Hello? talking to his toothbrush. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> okay, so the pacing in this movie. That's uh, good. I think it's really good. I've I've never been bored even watching it multiple times after. You know. Yeah, no. Yeah. It's just there's it's kind of like Megamind. There's so many little things to enjoy that, you know, re re enjoying them is not tedious. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's also a good blend of several genres. You know, it's comedy. There's there's tragedy. You know, I mean that's the whole point of it is to be a tragedy that doesn't actually fully get fulfilled. But um, romance, uh, is that it? Yeah, but I mean, it's kind of unusual. I mean, it, it is a very different kind of movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I guess at its core, it is a romance. I mean, two very opposite people wind up together. Mm-hmm. And they go through Yeah, and they do spend a lot of time and... on their relationship. Yeah, they do. I mean, because like it, they have like some false starts, you know, or like they maybe have a connection and then one of them blows it. Yeah, usually him. Usually him. Like she makes some cookies and he's like, I can't take them. Because it's he's a tax, yeah, and it makes him mad. Her man, she tosses the cookies, and I understand, you know, but she just was trying to be nice after she screwed him over, and he couldn't accept it because he can't, because it's not. I mean, he literally can't. Well, and right? the thing I mean, is, is he's just such a squeaky clean person. Like it doesn't even occur to him to break the rules, you know. And so he's like, "Oh, this is what you, you made these for me," and you know. And so he just he it wakes him up because he's never been treated like that the way she treats him, you know? 
Yeah, I mean, even during the movie, he's like running calculations. He's like, I don't know, OCD. Is that the word? Because oh he counts yes. things like he counts he, as a, counts as steps. And um, Professor Hilbert catches him. And he's like, he, how many tiles on the wall? <laughs> he's like, you were counting tiles on the wall, weren't you? He's like, no. no. And it was like how much soap was in the dispenser that he yep. was paying attention to. Yep. You know, but I mean, he knew him pretty well just right off the bat. Like yep. he pegged, pegged him. Pegged him yep. real good. Um, and he's investigating him as well. But even mm-hmm. so, he uh, he's very astute. Yeah. Good. And I used to I used to have OCD tendencies, um, like really, really severe ones. I didn't realize that they were bad. I had a... Uh, I had a roommate tell me that her sister was medicated for OCD and she had, I was just as bad as her, if not worse. And that, that roommate actually helped me overcome it. I used to have like, like I would put like a cup on a table and then I would see myself knocking the cup over and it would repeat in my mind for up to an hour, just over and over and over and over. And I could not get it out and counting things. I used to count things all the time. I couldn't, couldn't walk without counting on my steps. I still count stairs sometimes, but it was, it was debilitating. And I didn't realize that didn't ever occur to me. I thought everybody was that way. So it didn't even occur to me until I met her. And so I, I, um, I associate with this movie. I mean, is that the word? Yeah, I'm sympathetic to Harold Crick because I've I've experienced that and I was able to break free. And Anna, his experience, his relationship with Anna, and then the narrator, you know, he it points out how bad he is, and he breaks out of it. Yeah, because he's like a nobody, nothing, like very bland. Like he has the most boring job you can think of, and he works for one of the most boring places you can think of. And and I have to tell you this right now. Nolan's not going to like to hear this, but Nolan is a walking calculator, just like Harold Crick. <laughs> I'm only good at doing logs, so... I <laughs> know you're not. I'll be like, hey, Nolan, what is 1,037 times 28, or what's what's 1% or 2.7% of 1,000 times 20? And he's like, blah, 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 and I play with the calculator, and he's like off by like one or two decimals. I just frowned. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like, yeah, I have to have paper in front of me. So Harold Crick, like he'll be walking past coworkers, and they're like, hey, Harold, what's this? And he rounds, you know, gives him the answer, and he's right every time. Um, which, by the way, the one time when he was wrong, he was actually right that first time. <laughs> Trivia told me that. Okay, so things that we liked and work work for us. Um, breaking the fourth wall. They don't address the audience specifically, but they do go outside of the story. Yeah, he becomes aware of the fact that he's in a story. He becomes aware of the narrator, and the narrator becomes aware of him. And that doesn't happen in movies. Not generally. Um, yeah, I absolutely love that. So it's not technically breaking the fourth wall, but it is the character becoming aware of of him or herself, you know, himself in this case. And it's fantastic. I absolutely love how well it's done. You know, it's unique and fun. And if you haven't seen this movie, um, go watch it, man. You should have watched it before this. Yes, you should have watched it before this. You're not going to get the most out of this podcast unless you do your homework. <laughs> okay. Um, I do want to talk about the climax. It's uh, the climax of the movie is the climax of Karen Eiffel's book. I mean, it goes hand in hand with her story. So everything happens because he knows Karen what's supposed Eichel to is, happen. Is the writer that's right? Yeah, okay. yeah. He knows what's supposed to happen because he's read the book. So he doesn't do anything different. He like knows he's supposed to die. He actually goes into it knowing he's going to die. He doesn't know that Karen rewrote the story, and which we don't know either when we're watching it. You know, it's not until he wakes up in the hospital, covered in bandages, that he we were like, oh, he actually survived. You know, and so. Um, Karen, I I love the point that she made a man that good. Who's going into his death, knowing it's going to happen. She's like, I can't kill him. 
because he needs to he needs to survive and then also ruins the story killing somebody who knows they're going to die and so she just she couldn't accept that but i love that like i said the climax of the movie is the climax of the book you know and it's it's a very different climax for that reason yes <laughs> any any thoughts on it no it's good i mean they parallel each other i mean that's it wouldn't really work otherwise no, it wouldn't. Well, I mean, he was going out of character several times earlier. He tries to. She had um, writer's block. He tries to. Yeah, the doctors, like, don't do anything. Stay at home. Yeah, and then his home gets destroyed. Yeah, the story <laughs> plot comes to find him, basically. Yeah. Yep. It's like, don't change the TV channel. Don't get up to use the bathroom. Don't answer the phone. You know, do everything that you wouldn't do, basically. Yeah, he goes and buys a guitar, which he's always wanted to do, but never did. And Learns how to play, and that's when Anna falls in love with him. He buys her flowers, though. Yeah, that too. And then that didn't hurt. But yeah, so he gets outside of his comfort zone to try and avoid his own death and ends up... Creating being... a life instead. Exactly. And then he gets to live it. Hooray. Yeah. yeah, it's really awesome. Okay, so this is a very plot and a very character-driven story. Um, the plot is external to him. A lot of everything that happens is external. He can't control, you know, well, actually, I don't know, like things are external and then he starts to break, break, break from the plot and it becomes character driven while Karen, like I said, while she's trying to overcome writer's block. And so, um, and then he becomes aware of the plot and he goes along with the plot, you know, towards the end, like we were saying, it's very interesting. It's a good story. Um, I'm going to go into trivia, if that's okay. It is. Okay, so um, let's see. Emma Thompson wore absolutely zero makeup in the whole movie, not even stage makeup. Fits her character, honestly. Yeah. Because she doesn't care, you know? I, I like the... We haven't even talked about her assistant. Um, her assistant's like, no smoking, none of this. Her, her assistant doesn't cure her of smoking or anything like that, even though she's like, uh, she's like, all of my all of my authors that I work with, I don't allow them to smoke. They stop smoking. And Karen's like, you're not in charge of me. I don't care who sent you. How late was she on her book? Like two years or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Okay, so while the professor's reading the book, um, you can actually see the opening. I mean, you can see the page. If you pause the movie, you can read what the page says. And it gives the opening line for her book that we know, you know, talking about Harold Crick and counting things. But you can also see that there's other stuff there that they didn't put into the movie. Uh, his co-worker, the, the chick co-worker, has had a crush on him since eighth grade. Oh. And she's been waiting for him to say hi since then. Oh, my. That's so sad. It is sad. And then, let's see, Will Ferrell wore an earpiece, and that's how they piped her lines to him so that the characters around him, people around him, wouldn't know what was going on. They'd react naturally to how he was talking to himself. What? Did you hear that? So They said that somebody, that I'm going to die or whatever, and the lady's like, no, I don't, I don't understand. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought that was awesome. And then the last little bit isn't a tr piece of trivia. I think we got it from the movie. Um, somewhere, but the director told Harold Crick to sit on his seat in the bus and to not move no matter what happened. He could not get up from that seat. And then without telling each the two characters this, he told an extra to insist to and not to take no for an answer to sit where Harold Crick is sitting. And he's like, I just want you guys, you just, you have to stay where you are and you have to get that seat. And then they recorded it. And you see a little bit of that in the, um, in the movie, but watch the deleted scenes. They actually go into it more. It's, they, they, get in, they almost get into a fight. It's, it's so awesome. <laughs> so Harold's like, no, I'm not going to move. And the guy's like, I have to sit there. I have to sit there. And Harold's like, no, I'm not moving. I was here first. And 
Uh, those are, I love those kinds of things. It goes on for like an uncomfortable period of time. Yep. <laughs> and the director's just like... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, I love things like that. I want to be a director just for that reason. So you can... Mess with people. Screw, yeah, screw with them like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. What are your takeaways? Um, I really only have the one, honestly. It's a be creative. Because mm-hmm. um, this is... You don't always have to be this creative, but um, I, I don't remember where where I heard this. But like most, if you're coming up with like a plot, you don't pick the first or second most ob- you know thing. Obvious you idea, whatever. Because you, you got to dig, you know, mm-hmm. to uh, be less obvious and be unique. And well, because readers, if it's your first idea or first thought, then it'll be readers as well. Exactly, generally. and, and it, you have to weave it in so that it's it's the most plausible after they find out what it is. Yeah, so they won't have thought of it, but then looking back, they're like, they're oh my like, gosh. Oh, yeah, that totally makes sense. Yeah. Like a, a good murder mystery will do. Yeah. Um, anyway, um, and this movie, like they 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 dug in there and they got to, they got kind of crazy with it, and it mm-hmm. worked really well. Yeah. Maybe maybe that's not what you're trying to do, but my point is is that don't go for the don't always go for the obvious mm-hmm. thing. It, sometimes you do need to have certain obvious things because that helps misdirect people too. Mm-hmm. Like you know their their suspicions are easily fulfilled and then they're not. You know and then you gotta throw some curveballs in there. So paying attention to audience expectations. I didn't expect him to start addressing the narrator or to hear them like while he's brushing his teeth during the very first two minutes yeah because the there's narrators in movies all the time yeah and the characters never notice yep and then he just like notices yeah. <laughs> and it's just and i was it took me a second to figure out what was going on because i didn't know the premise of the movie yeah um you know you just made, forced me to watch it at <laughs> knife point and then um and then you liked it and i liked it anyway so you know the the, the, the slight gouge in my neck was worth it it's, <laughs> and it's good now well, it hasn't healed because I do it regularly to you. I know. But you do it regularly to me, too. I do. Like my science project, okay. which I actually ended up really enjoying. <laughs> <laughs> High school students, you know, fight dinosaurs. So, yeah. Well, it's not the like. Uh, in the 80s. Mm-hmm. In 1985. Claymation. So good. Um, um, okay, so that was pretty much two takeaways. What was it? Creative and address, like, don't, what was the other one? Be creative and then uh, uh, reader expectations or whatever. Yeah, yeah, I guess. Because, well, I mean, if you know what your readers want, you can give them exactly what they want. But also, sometimes what they want isn't, um, this is kind of hard to explain. They they want the, com- like, it has to be, it has to fulfill a certain amount of specific things to be that genre and why they picked the book up in the first place. Yeah. But they, a lot of what they remember is how you made it slightly different. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not even like huge differences necessarily, but. Yeah. Like you're getting the tropes, but you're doing it in your own take, you know? Mm-hmm. Sparkly vampires. Ugh. Sounds ridiculous, but, but it worked a lot of money. Yep. You know what I mean? And, it, you know, they're basically just regular vampires, honestly, mm-hmm. like. The, the sparkly thing almost doesn't come up that often, honestly. No. Um, but the but it made the situation what it was. And then, yeah. you know, there you go. Yep. So vampire story where it's 95% normal. A vampire, yeah. I mean, well, my, my series, vampires that they burn the victims and eat the smoke to yeah. be able to live in, in the sun. And it's 95% real vampires. And then I throw something like that in there. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree with that. I like, I do like that the, um, don't go with your first idea because a lot, I mean, 
your first overall idea. Like this applies a lot better to like getting out of a situation, a tough situation or how characters react to each other, things like that, you know? So the, your first situ- or idea on how they would get through it is the one that the readers will have. And sometimes it's okay to do that, but throw in times where that's not the way it is. Because it's less, yeah. It has to, it can't feel like it's out of left field. And if it does, there's an explanation later that makes sense. Exactly. Yeah. You're like, why did that character act that way? And you yeah. find out something about them, Yeah. you know, like they wouldn't normally act that way, but in this situation they did because yeah. of this that you didn't know about, but now it makes sense. Because mm-hmm. we talk, we talk about character consistency when people yeah. start letting the plot drive what the characters are doing instead of the other way around, you know, and you're like, this person had to react this way so I could get to the end of my story and then it doesn't feel genuine, you know? Yeah, and you also need to be careful. Some tropes or some genres don't handle this very well. You, the more familiar you are, the better the book will do. But there are genres that lend better to this, like fantasy and sci-fi, but um, I mean, even, mystery. Even romance. So they're formulaic, but it's how far you can yeah. twist it without breaking it, which is yeah. really challenging. The, like, there's authors that break it by not having happily ever after, and almost always those books don't do well. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, but I mean, if you 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 know you meet, you don't get along, then you get along. Yeah, and then you live happily ever after. But, but within that... But within that, so much can happen. Yeah. You know? It's yeah, like, how far exactly. can you push that and still hit all those things that the yep. reader wants? Yep. That was my point. Yeah. Like, you know. Okay, so my takeaways. Uh, break rules, but have fun with it. So characters aren't supposed to become aware of the writer. Um, and I can't read my handwriting. Oh, yeah. yeah. So characters can't become... Don't, and they're not supposed to become aware of the writer... Or even meet him or her. But in this movie, he does. And it's a lot of fun. So, you know. And then my second takeaway is related. Um, Books about writers bore me. And yet, movies, books about writers. Let's see. Finding Forrester, Throw Mama from the Train, and Stranger Than Fiction. Um, Most books aren't different enough or too close to a real writer's life to be interesting to me. Um, like a biography or it's just them being better. Yeah. And so I can't tell if the writers is writing from his or her point of view about this character or if it's, you know, so these are different enough where, you know, it's not, ha- it's not going to have happened. Finding Forrester, you know, it's, so it could have happened, but but it doesn't could. feel like it's the writer, you know, the screenwriter or anything. Right, like they're that. not writing like a Mary Sue. Yeah, thing. and throw Mama from the train is so absurdly different that you know that that's not. I mean, maybe it is, but <laughs> it's pretty over the top. But yeah. yeah, and stranger than fiction, obviously. Again, you know, that's not going to ever have happen in anyone's life. But I mean, and so my my point here is that. Books about writers, do them differently. Do yours differently. If you want to write a story about a writer, don't have it be somebody who's never been able to finish a book and just always tries and always... Because that's so. That's what happens with the most writers. Or From somebody... who's writing. <laughs> no. But... <laughs> and then the ones that but are But they're trying, not shy about it. I yeah. Mean, the comedy of it is like he he's a professor... Yeah. That can't finish a book. And, and he, yeah, he, he teaches can, writing yeah. but can't write. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And they just have fun with that. Yeah. So just like going along with what Nolan said, actually, it make it different. Like surprise the readers. If you're going to do something that is expected, then, you know, like an expected plot point, you know, a writer who can't get published, then do something that readers don't expect. And most of the books that I've read, they don't do that there. And so I'm just like, I, I generally avoid those ones because I'm like, ugh. Not another book about a writer, you know. Um, but, you know, those books, yeah, write what you're passionate about. And if that's what you want to write, then write it and I won't be your reader. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, uh, overall, I guess our point is to is to push 
push yourself, push push your plot, push your characters. Yeah. Not not like far so that they're weird, but like really pay attention to why you're doing stuff and like yeah. the craft of it and like what it what it does. And, you know, surprise the reader on occasion. That's what they really want. I yeah, mean, they, they do. want comfort and surprises at once. Yeah. <laughs> they want both. Yeah, they do. And it's it's tough, but I mean, a lot of writers their, do it yeah, fine. They want their tropes and then they want to be they delighted. Want they, they want to be delighted. They want that twist, that that thing that makes it memorable. Yeah. Makes it different than all the other, you know, mm-hmm. I have a magic sword and I have to slay a dragon. There's tons of stories like that, but some of them succeed because they just feel different. Even if, because yeah. you can even still have like the, the most classic story possible, like a very classic vampire Yeah, like, story. like Arthur pulling the sword from the stone. Yeah. Gallivant, he pulls the sword from the stone and doesn't even know. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, um, so you can still be like classic, but. If you make it your own enough by, I don't know, paying attention to the, like how you do things and make it your own, yeah, mm-hmm. then it's still your own, and yeah. you didn't even have to be that crazy with it. Yeah, like but. Ten Things I Hate About You and and um, Cutting Edge, they're like retellings of the Taming of the Shrew, but they are very original. You yeah, know? they're very different from each other, and they're still the same. They yeah. meet, they hate each other. She's um, a brat. Yeah, she's a brat. He's a brat, <laughs> and um, they fall in love. They're forced to. They're forced to be together. One's just from. I mean, for different reasons. One just wants the money, and one just wants to skate. And then, yeah, actually, they overcome their differences and get together. Yeah. So I just mean, like in Ten Things I Hate About You, they do. They skate. No, yeah. well, <laughs> they they could. We don't know. Yeah, it's true. We don't see every moment of their life. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Okay. So I think that's it for this episode. Okay. Um, where can people find you? Uh, at Art with Nolan on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, even though they have been unevenly posted on. Um, <laughs> and I'm going to correct that later this week, probably. Yeah, it's it's hard. I mean, because you're, I would say just focus on Instagram and ignore Facebook because I mean, how much time take, do you have? You it know? doesn't take that long to just sit down for a few minutes and upload all the other. That things. goes against all the advice I've given our listeners. Pick one social media site and ignore the rest. <laughs> Fair enough. But I mean, it just has two pictures on it. So it that's true. Yeah. What, when I post Put a few it, of your best ones up there. And, yeah. I mean, yeah. I sit... You know, I just do it while I'm doing everything else. Yeah. So. I don't have to concentrate on it, but I mean, I do have it there. So, yeah, it's just another way for people to contact you ish. <laughs> yeah, I guess. <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, you can email me at Andrea at selfpublishedstrong.com and uh, my our, the course discount. So not Black Friday. Go to selfpublishedstrongcourses.com and grab. We've got the automation sequence one, which teaches automation sequences for beginner, advanced, and middle authors. You know, basically what to do when a reader finds you through InstaFreebie, which is now called Prolific Works, or through a giveaway, anything or stuff like that. And then I've got one on getting reviews. So it talks about all the different places that you can go to get reviews and it teaches you how to run a review team. And I've got one on finding subscribers. That one is actually not down, not used very often. I think a lot of people are more, more interested in getting reviews than they are in getting subscribers. But if you get subscribers, guess what? You get downloads and you get reviews and you get a whole lot of other things. You say, hello, subscribers. I could use some reviews. And then they're like, okay. okay. And they post a review. And then I've got my Amazon algorithms and automation sequences one, which talks 
talks about what to do when your algorithms are off. I've got one on whether or not you're ready or not to uh, promote your books. And I, this one's really big before you run promotions. You want to do blind testing and make sure your book covers and your descriptions are fitting the genre and that readers actually want them. Uh, let's see what else is there. MailChimp tutorial talking about it tells you how to set up things on MailChimp, including an automation sequence. Then I've got one on Big Bang Promotions, and it teaches you how to run a big one, a small one, and steady traffic ones, basically. And I think that's everything. How much do most of them cost? Um, MailChimp and the Big Bang Promotions one are $50 each, so they're half off with this coupon code, 25 And then the rest are all $25, and so you get them for $12.50. Or you could go to Patreon. Oh, yeah. You can also um, support some Patreon at like a dollar a month to $2 a month, and you can get one of my $25 courses for free up front. So there you go. Uh, one course for a dollar, and then 50% off the rest. Yeah. So there you go. For like $26, you can get two yeah. courses. Three and, if you count the free one. And my courses, um, my I don't my whole purpose with this, and those of you who are on my author newsletter list, they'll, you'll know that I don't... My goal is fiction. My goal is not nonfiction. I, I do my nonfiction so that I can teach people and still feel happy about that while focusing on fiction. And so that's one reason why my courses are priced low. Um, and then also, like if you go and check out the testimonials, the people that have taken my courses, they've been very happy with them. There's a lot of meat in the courses themselves. I've had several people tell me I need to break them into smaller sections and sell those sections small, you know, individually. But I'm like, that takes more time on my part. And people can rewatch the course over and over again. It never expires. Once you once you download or buy it, it will be there forever. Even if I unpublish it, you will always have access to it because you bought it. So, um, yeah. So go to selfpublishedoncourses.com. Click on view all courses to see everything that's available. And the coupon code is not Black Friday. That expires on the 15th, which is this Saturday. So sorry, you future listeners listening in the past. You can still support us on Patreon, though. <laughs> and you can still get a course for a dollar. That's always up. So, yep, exactly. Um, yeah, that's pretty much it for this episode. So, if you have, like I said, if you have questions, email me at andreatselfpublishedwrong.com. And if you have questions for Nolan, go ahead and email me too, or follow him on Instagram and message him there. Yes, that would be the best way. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, we have been asked if Nolan will be doing com commissioned pieces. The answer is soon, possibly. Soon Soonish. Yes. Yeah. I've got some other projects we've got to tie off. Yeah, I've commissioned him to do some work. Business yes. will actually be paying him. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, um, yeah, uh, there's some background stuff I've been doing that people probably won't see much of. Mm -hmm. Like getting, the school sculpture. Yeah, just getting that kind of stuff done. Finished off. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, I'll, I'll concentrate more on book cover type art. Yeah, of. go check out The Dragon on my Facebook account, uh, Andrea Pearson. And, I mean... It's 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 drummed up a lot of interest in his talent and his ability because most people can't draw dragons as we've discovered. And it's my first one, like almost ever. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, I've done a cool. few. It's the first full full color. color one He's, you've done a lot of sketches, but yeah. Okay, I think that's everything for today. Um, we'll talk to y'all later. Bye. Bye. <laughs>